full of amazing stories, and the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that live them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole story told by the individuals that live and love this small Indiana county. is supported today by Marion Design Co., a social design studio whose mission is to create sustainable design solutions to magnify the powerful stories behind organizations, businesses, and individuals. We believe good design should be accessible to everyone. Our clients include Marion Health, Mississinawa Schools, Princeton University, the City of Marion, and more. With a combined 46 years of professional design experience, collaboration is critical to our empathic design solutions through graphic design, interior design, placemaking design, and design thinking. Whether it's branding, marketing, space planning, commercial or residential interior designs, or strategic design thinking, Marion Design Co. will hold your story with care. Located in downtown Marion, Indiana, reach out to hello at mariondesign.co. Find us at www.mariondesign.co or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Welcome back to the next episode of Where We Landed. I'm excited to have you on. This is Alicia. And today we've got Iris Brunner with us. hey And Kylie Jackson. Hey, everybody. And I'm really excited for our guest today. So I'm going to have it handed over to Kylie for her section of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> every, every, every time you try to not be awkward, it makes it more awkward. And I'm only paranoid about being awkward because you tell me I'm awkward. If you just leave me alone, I'd be fine. Okay. <laughs> we're just gonna one chat. of these days we're just uh, gonna chat for a few minutes yeah, just to get warmed up here so we don't have to jump straight into our interview today uh so we've got some some questions these are from uh let's get deep friends edition nice uh, okay that's what we are around the table here friends, friends. <laughs> what's size? going on over here i'm sorry <laughs> Just haven't recovered. <laughs> oh, from me being awkward. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. First question. Do you prefer to text, call, or video chat? Text. Text. It wouldn't be video <laughs> chat, I'll tell you that. that would be my last one. Um, yeah. I I suppose it depends on the situation still. Yeah. But I, I don't mind calling. I, I prefer that. I th often, calling or in often. person would yeah. be uh my preference. Really? You're calling her in person? I did not know that. Yeah, I think maybe it's a change that happened for me during the pandemic. Like, okay. I don't want the um, like the ambiguity that text messaging can leave sometimes. Like, I would rather, or in like the length of time it takes. Like, for a lot of things, like, I'd rather just pick up the phone and just tell me. Mm -hmm. Or like, huh. let's just have the conversation real quick. Get it done. Nice. Good to know. I, I wrote know. that down. Yeah. Kylie's and I think, preference. I'm going to call you now. You have, mm -hmm. you hear. Now, if you don't answer, I'm going to know. <laughs> She's filtering her phone calls. Yeah, right. I don't want to talk to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you have to say, I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much yeah. more nuance and yeah. texting can be weird sometimes. And I totally get that. Like, I feel like I scrutinize things sometimes that I send, but mm. I'm also an over communicator. So I probably tell you more things than what you really need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I think but, for me, uh, like if yeah. I'm, if there, it's a friend or family, I would prefer to talk to you on the phone, but if it's work related or my children, I'd prefer text. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. a good question. 
Yeah, that's a good one. I'm also a slow typer, so it's like it's just it's easier to just pick up the phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> you use a lot of emojis down and point. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Emoji. You yeah. don't still use the flip where you got to hit hit seven one 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 five 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 five. You think I did? Probably. <laughs> Do they even make those phones anymore? Uh, ask your father-in-law. Uh, but, you know, he has a smartphone now, you guys. Uh, He's moving up. Uh, Begrudgingly, he has a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Next question. Uh, what was your first car? I had an 85 Navy Blue Chevy Celebrity. Oh. <laughs> and um, the ceiling, like the upholstery on the ceiling was like falling down. Yes. And you had to, yeah. <clears throat> well, we, I don't remember, like maybe we put some pins in it, but then I remember my dad got in there and was like, pulled it down and of course like underneath is that like whatever like Like it's insulation spray foam type stuff well it's like the stuff you just want to touch right and of course he was like don't let anybody touch this and of course (laughs) and people would get in my car and be like don't touch that and they'd be like what after they've written their name (laughs) in it or someone did the wu-tang w in it (laughs) and i was like that's it (laughs) 85 celebrity that's what i had awesome i don't know the year of mine but it was a Rust red colored Chevy Cavalier station wagon. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't think I've I ever seen a Cavalier, Cavalier station was, wagon. I know. I was thinking the same thing. It I'm was pretty cool. It. <laughs> um, it was great because I was in color guard. So it was long enough. I could stick my flagpoles and stuff like that in it and haul all my friends around because back then we all didn't have to have seatbelts. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Huh. What about you, Andrew? Mine was a 78 blue hatchback Subaru. Nice. And it was the same age I was when I started driving. <laughs> oh. And oh. Okay. I've seen that before. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Listener, Google a 70 or what is it? An, uh, Chevy. Chevy Cavalier. Station wagon. Station wagon. Yes. Okay. Okay. Got sorry. It. Sorry. Sorry. My car, not his What car. color was your Subaru? Oh, it was a blue, a little blue. A little blue. Yep. And you, it was a stick shift and the seal around the. The shift wasn't really good, so you could clearly see the ground. Which was a favorite nice. feature of my you know, favorite watch. feature. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to always point out unique features when somebody else writes. Look at this! You can see the ground as we go. <laughs> go over a puddle and splash a little on your leg. And, yeah. Oh my gosh! Mama's Fred Flintstone. Do you know how to drive a stick, Iris? I do not. Do you know how to drive a yep. stick? Yep. My I second car was a stick shift. Yeah. Nice. My first car was an '89 Chrysler Le Baron Ooh. convertible. Ooh, nice. convertible. Nice. Yeah. Wind in your hair. Nice. And my second car was a 93 Volkswagen Fox uh, that was a stick shift. That nice. was my car in college. So. Nice. Okay, there's one uh, one more, and I didn't, I chose these questions before we started, but um, it makes sense after our previous conversation. What was the first cell phone you ever had? Oh. Mm. Mm. Mine was like a Motorola something, but it was, it looked like, like an eight. No, it was like, it was rounded. Oh. It was like rounded and then it got thin in the middle and then it was round again. Like, anyway, can't, huh. mm. it's hard on speak, just voicing, explaining what that looks like. Yeah. I just want to Google it and show it to I, you. I don't remember what mine was either. But it wasn't a flip phone. It yeah. was a, mm-hmm. it was probably four <laughs> or five inches. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I don't remember, but I do remember that it had this really obnoxious like send button that no matter where I put it, like I would always be butt dialing somebody. 
Mm. I just always remember like my phone going off, like in the middle of a class, like calling somebody. I can hear him going, hello. <laughs> <laughs> like I called somebody in yeah. the middle of class. Huh. I don't remember what it was, but I think I, had, I got a Blackberry after that. Cause uh, it had a keyboard. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Blackberry, Black, Blackberry was like the first one I remember liking. Yeah. I had like the little, um, I think it was a Motorola too, razor. but it was like a little brick, not a razor. Oh. It didn't flip. It was just Did like it slide. Yeah. Nope. With the keyboard. I had a sliding one too, but this was just like a flat brick. Oh, you can yeah. play snake on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Yeah. You know, uh, the first cell phone I had, I shared with uh, Melissa, my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, but we we lived, lived uh, three hours apart and we were dating and trying to figure out how to use our minutes and only could use calls after this, this time. So we both, we shared the phone plan and then that helped us be able to talk to each other. Much fun. <laughs> but it did have one of those antennas you had to pull up before. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. I remember the first time I saw one in a friend's car though. Mm -hmm. And I just like, thought, wow, you, what, you can, you can talk on the phone yeah. and, from and, your and, car. And my, what uh, I thought shortly after that was, and why would you want to do that? Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I say, my dad had one of those. I was when it was a car phone, yeah, like a bag, bag phone. phone. But it was just my because he traveled. He traveled a ton, so just in case you know you yeah. ever needed for. But I don't know that it ever got used for emergencies. It would be like, "Hey, I'm calling you from the car," yeah. <laughs> and he'd be like, "Hang up." <laughs> you know, right. Whatever. So it's a dollar yeah. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was the novelty of it. It was the novelty <laughs> of it for sure. For sure. So. <laughs> well, um, I get the pleasure of introducing Andrew today. Andrew Sprock, very good friend of mine. Um, have enjoyed getting to know him and his family. I adore his wife. I adore his kids. Um, he is the executive director of Circles of Grant County. I think I was joking about some of the other titles as well. I said Uber yeah. driver, um, uh, sports dad. Uh, <laughs> Uh, dog dad, dog That's dad. Right. Yeah, definitely need to talk about those. Um, but we're very happy to have you on the show today. And I think we're all excited to learn your story. Um, but first question, always the first question is how did you land here? Yeah. Well, I'm honored to be here with you and thanks mm -hmm. for the invite. Yeah. Um, so let's see a rather circuitous route, but, um, we, both my wife and I went to seminary in the Chicago area after we went to college and we had a good friend of ours who was an alumni of Anderson University and connected Melissa with a job there. We, both my wife and I are from Kansas. So Kansas, both in college there to the Chicago area and then through a friend down to Anderson. We were there for seven years or so and Melissa started working at Indiana Wesleyan and was commuting up here. And then when our oldest son was born, the commute felt like it was just several more hours of his small awake time that she didn't want to be missing. So we decided to move here because at that time my job transitioned from a full-time grant funded position to half time. So it made sense for me to be the one that stayed home with him and, and commuted back and forth to Anderson a couple of days a week. And so, uh, so Indiana Wesleyan was largely what brought us here. And I continued to work in Anderson for a few years after we moved here until the position was circles opened up. So. And what were you doing in Anderson then? Um, I heard you say grant funded and yeah, that's yeah. right. I worked for um, public health nonprofit. I was doing some substance abuse prevention work and I was the tracking data for our community. So I was the data analyst for our little nonprofit. Yeah. 
And I'd, I'd done some uh, teaching before that, too. That's my undergrad degree is in elementary ed. Ah. Um, so I tried my hand at that, and, and uh, second graders gave me all I could handle. It's <laughs> um, a lot if it pushes you to nonprofit um, life. <laughs> I learned a lot from them. Well, Among those, the biggest things I learned was... Yeah, well, I'm not about, a good second grade teacher. Well, but talk about what, like, where were you teaching at though? Like, I feel like yeah. I remember something about like the area that you were teaching it was, into. It was a really challenging environment for sure. Um, it was a under-resourced mm-hmm. school and, and 98% of our kids were on free and re- reduced lunches. Yeah. Of the 22 kids I had in my class, only one of them uh, lived with both of their uh, biological parents. Mm. And uh, so there was lots of different kinds of family scenarios that were seemed to be in flux pretty regularly and create a fair degree of instability in kids' lives and things too. So you weren't just the teacher though, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if I was painting that picture that, you know, while, while you're saying that they gave you all you could take you, but you were doing many roles in in teaching these, these second graders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I was just the teacher, maybe I could have done that. But I think it was all the other things that were yeah. that were uh, beyond my capacity to manage simultaneously. I think I I have a good friend that worked in the building at the same time, and, and my wife did briefly also. And she tells me that there would be times she would intentionally not walk past my room because she's like, I don't know that I can handle the amount of chaos that's going on there. Because <laughs> yeah, she would look in and she's like, that one kid has your full attention, yeah. but the other 21 is like, oh my God. Hanging <laughs> from so, the chandelier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. And just lots of, uh, again, some of what I see now is the effects of trauma yeah. and the ways in which it shapes your brain and, and, uh, yeah, I, I one of the one of the among many memories that I have of of that year was a, a <laughs> there was a active shooter drill or something like that that happened. Well, it wasn't a drill. There was something that was happening across the street, and you know the different kinds of responses that happened in the room. One of the kids just went crazy and was un uh, by crazy I meant like running around the room and mm-hmm. like just hype became this extreme version of hyper that was so hard to contain in the midst of other people's fear and anxiety, like what's happening. Yeah. And he's just magnifying the chaos Mm -hmm. and to try to manage, you know, this little gal here that's crying and doesn't know what to do. And him that's running around and tipping desks over and like screaming and, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, how do you you hold on to both of those things at the Mm -hmm. same time? You know? Yeah. So I, how old were you? When you were a second yeah, grade teacher, let's see, I would have been in my mid twenties, uh, mid to late twenties, maybe twenty seven or twenty eight or something. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a that's lot. a lot. It, it, uh, there was they. I learned a lot from them. There was a lot more to the world that I hadn't seen or known until I got to see it through their eyes. And so that was after you went to grad school and seminary. Yep, brought that down. Mm-hmm. Then, then yeah. Anderson. So yeah, right. Anderson, that was in Anderson okay. where we were for seven years. And, and then now where we are today, talk to us a little bit about circles because yeah. um, when people ask me about it, I don't, I know what it is, but I'm not very eloquent at describing it. So yeah. Yeah. And you're always so eloquent. At yes. describing. Oh, well, you're so great <laughs> No at pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, well, it's, 
we try to create supportive communities for people that are dealing with the challenges of poverty. And uh, as I just referenced in the story about being an elementary ed teacher, there's lots of uh, side effects, I guess you could call it, that, that are often unrecognized about how difficult it can be to face the range of challenges that, that poverty can trigger. And uh, a lot of times the maybe the removed kind of thinking or this kind of from a distance community level thinking at times with people who are, are not experiencing it, it is about, hey, they need to learn how to budget better, have better self-control to not spend on that cell phone, you know, mm-hmm. or that we just talked about or whatever it is. And then they'll be in a better situation or it's a narrative about motivation and, and, and that kind of thing continues to resurface, of course, but it's never, I've never met anybody that doesn't want a better life. Right. Um, it's not, it's not ever a matter of motivation. It's always a matter of the barriers that you're facing mm-hmm. and how are you going to, um, we're, we're coming up on gardening season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's this expectation that if you plant the seed and give it the water, it should grow, right? That's its job. But in some sense, there's a lot of work in the soil that needs to happen before anybody can grow. Yeah. And we overlook the the need for that soil care mm-hmm. before real people can really grow and thrive. And so sometimes the work starts out with pull, pulling a lot of rocks out of soil or um, or trying to make sure it's add not some good compost. In the shade or, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Well, kinds of things. And and what are some of those barriers that people in poverty continue to run up against? I mean, obviously there is that narrative, oh, well you you're just not spending your money correct. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's really not what the story is, yeah. right? Right. No, it's it rarely is. And and sometimes when you see those kind of saying, oh, I can't believe they spent their money on this. Um a few years ago, I, one of the books that I read that kind of made a lasting impression on me in that regard was a book called Evicted. And he's telling the story of lots of different folks in the Milwaukee area that are experiencing uh, housing instability. And one of the the gals that he's telling her story, which she was, you know, she's like beginning of the month, she's having this nice lobster dinner. And he does this little side commentary, you know, from outside it looks like, well, maybe that's why she's poor. Mm. But the real story is here. She's tried hundreds of things to try to make a different kind of outcome by the end of the month and none of them have worked. So if, if she can have this moment of relief from the stress of just surviving, Mm -hmm. then this is what she's going to do. And so I think if we look at it through the lens of they're trying to catch their breath, Mm -hmm. they want a moment of relief and this is their moment of relief. Right. Then it's a whole different lens through which we're looking at somebody's scenario. And you, and it's a lot easier to have compassion for that too. Um, when, cause, cause I think we all get to those places where we feel such stress. I mean, for me, it's chocolate, you know, like I just want a moment of relief. I feel, you know, like, <laughs> for me, it's walking out the front door and shutting the door on the messy yeah, house right. that I have behind me. That's right. I mean, there's lots of ways I can do it too, but that's well, one of them. So there was, um, um, a, conversation that was being had and there was something about you know oh someone so was using their snap card for this and then they paid cash for this giant bag of dog food and it was kind of like this well mm-hmm. <laughs> because they need help and they need assistance well they're not allowed to have a pet right yeah, like right. i mean that that was kind of like uh, like again those like assumptions or those um you know immediate you know judgments that mm-hmm. are you know easy to pass when you're not walking in that space but i'm like 
you know, each one of us at this table has a pet that we love and care for. I mean, it's, it's a member of our family. It's also a significant source of like, you know, mm-hmm. you know stress relief. I mean, literally, you know, petting a, petting yeah. a pet or snuggling, you know, your animal is also, you know, good for your mental health, but I don't know. That was just, um, Oh, a yeah. moment in time when I was just kind of like, well, here's an opportunity for you to like look at this from a different perspective. So to, to hear you say that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, back to the pet thing too, I think yeah. uh, thinking about my own childhood, what did I do in some of my difficult moments where well, I went outside to talk to the dog? She's yeah. a great listener. I love it. She would just sit there and snuggle with me and listen right. to all, and I could cry on her and she, you know, Meanwhile, she's yeah. like, do you have something for me to yeah, eat? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, yeah. I think, but yeah. you did ask the question about the kinds of things that get in the way. Yes. yes. And uh, we talked just before we came live here that mm-hmm. about a speaker that was at the circle of friends event and talking about her own experience of trauma. Yeah. And I think you can't help but hear when you hear people's stories, you can't help but hear these, these points at which again, it oftentimes is their capacity to navigate the challenges of their lives is so diminished Mm -hmm. and the pressure that's coming from all kinds of directions uh, creates these impossible situations. And I think I think part of that oftentimes is is trauma work, but it, it, it layered in there is oftentimes grief. I mean, even if you're thinking about the situation of being abused by a loved one, there's there's that, and then there's the grief that somebody you were counting on, yeah, failed betrayed you, and and even apart from the harm, there's also this the physical harm and the complexity of all that that goes with it. There's this layer of, I just am really sad mm-hmm. that because I enjoyed and trusted them and, and I don't know what to do with that sad. I mean, that's, that's just, that's way down the layers. Um, and so as, as we've worked, as I've seen it in the lives of kids in elementary schools and in my work with circles, there is this reality that, yeah, it'd be great to be making goals and checking things off and moving toward a better life. But underneath that, there's a whole lot of soil work that needs mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. And one of the really memorable things that one of our ladies said that just stuck with me in that moment, she was sharing with our board about her experience at Circles. And she, she said, uh, one of the things that Circles has given me is it helps me, it's helped me to begin to believe the good things people say about me. And that's not an outcome we've ever measured. Like how do you, mm. you know, like, or, or the kind of answer that we're looked for. But I, as I listened to that, I was like, we are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing then. Yeah. Because if you, because of your participation in the life of this community, you are believing in a different version, a better version of yourself, a truer version of yourself, then we're doing something that's worth doing. And how wow. has, how has, um, circles grown? Do you feel like you were just at the right place at the right time? I will give a small shout that I was a part of the start of circles yeah. and part of the hiring committee that hired Andrew. That's right. Yeah. Nice choice. First met him in a, in an interview and then advocated for the fact that we should have him funded before we hire him. Yeah. <laughs> um, which didn't happen, which was. You know, anyway, okay, <laughs> keep going, that's please. That's a whole nother <laughs> yeah, story right, because that right. was a whole nother issue oh, I had man. as a fundraiser. Um, 
But when you were talking about your experience with working with those second graders and mm -hmm. seeing the experiences that they had and that type of thing, and then I see you in the role here at Circles, um, do you think that you said you learned a lot from them? How is that utilized in the work that you do now? I think that there's something about kids that makes it, that, that touches a tenderer part of us. It's, they embody vulnerability. Yeah in a way that it's hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. And when you see the ways in which children's lives are being shaped by some of the challenges, it's a lot harder to have judgment about their situation. I mean, we talked about, you know, whether it's their new cell phone or the lobster dinner or whatever, you, you're, somebody can bring judgment as their first kind of lens through which they're looking at that situation. But if you're seeing a kid that's, you know, again, a second grader, eight, eight year old or, mm -hmm making some poor choice about something and then, and then they burst into tears because their grief is a lot more on the surface and, and they're explaining about the anxiety, fear that they have about their home life. Then you, it's a lot harder to be like, well, you should get your homework done, you know? Right. Like, um, so I think, I think part of what teaching second grade helped form in me was um, a lens into the vulnerability of of people's uh, struggles in ways that that grows compassion and um, and I think it also helped me to understand the sacredness of of the moments when people are willing to open up with you about the reality of their lives. And those, those kind of, those are just, again, they're sacred gifts when people are willing to share those with you. And in those moments, you know, that, um, there's something very real and deep and rich that can happen in the context of that relationship because somebody's bringing their whole story and, and putting yeah. it out there for you. Yeah. Where We Landed is supported today by Marion Design Co., a social design studio whose mission is to create sustainable design solutions to magnify the powerful stories behind organizations, businesses, and individuals. We believe good design should be accessible to everyone. Our clients include Marion Health, Mississinawa Schools, Princeton University, the City of Marion, and more. With a combined 46 years of professional design experience, collaboration is critical to our empathic design solutions through graphic design, interior design, placemaking design, and design thinking. Whether it's branding, marketing, space planning, commercial or residential interior designs, or strategic design thinking, Marion Design Co. will hold your story with care. Located in downtown Marion, Indiana, reach out to hello at mariondesign.co, find us at www.mariondesign.co, or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. So... Wow. You've worked in these very challenging spaces, these very heavy spaces, mm. making these huge impacts. Um, what do you do or what do you find yourself doing that feeds back into you, that yeah. gives you the space to be able to continue in that kind of work? Yeah. Um, well, so we talked about the silent car, right? That's right. Like, we talked about silent car <laughs> silent rides. Silent car rides. Um, 
when I was working in this elementary school in Anderson, I walked the dog every day. Like mm. again, we're back to dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think I, I recognize, uh, and the title of this book really resonates with me, but the body keeps the score is the yeah. name is the title of, uh, uh, it's a pretty lengthy read. And if I'm honest, I'm a slow reader and Melissa mostly gave me the recap and I thought it was great. So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually read the book. I'm, I'm but calling I, Melissa. That's I want right. the if recap. You, if you Body want keeps to know, yeah. that's right. If you really want to know what it's about, I can give you a second hand, a really good second hand. <laughs> some cliff notes, some cliff notes. That's right. Um, but, but I think I've, uh, I've recognized more and more how much, how important it is for me to, to move and exercise. We talked about mm. mar marathons a little bit too, but I, I need something that is physically challenging and even rig rigorous mm. in order for me to, to be well. Yeah. And, and oftentimes for me, that also includes competing at some level. Like I, I need to be challenging. Um, a few years ago, I went with some others on a backpacking trip and took the kids and uh, to our, our two oldest boys. And, uh, it was our first backpacking trip. And I was like, you know what? You can pack whatever, you know, like you could, I'm, and I was carrying most stuff because they were little. I was like, yeah, you can, you can take whatever. I'm, Cause I, <laughs> I got all I, the needs I'm, on mine. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, and I've got this huge backpack and I know who I'm going to be hiking with mm -hmm. you guys who are not going to be going at a pace. That's going to be rigorous for me. So I'll carry. Yeah. Give, and my, my bag was over 70 pounds and, <laughs> and how much of, do like, you hot, we, hot yeah. wheels? And yeah. Oh yeah. It was like, well, it, the thing I got the most grief over was like the time when we sat down for lunch on the trail and I pulled up jar of pickles and I'm like well, <laughs> jar so, I'm of pickles. so I'm carrying the weight of the jar and the weight of the like everybody else is like dried fruit food and like high protein stuff that's lightweight I'm like there's pickles in the juice and you know but um but yeah part of that for me was like yeah. I I before I can get to a place where I really begin to connect more deeply with myself and come back to life in some sense I need yeah I need some rigorous. Yeah. I need to carry 70 pounds around for a while before I can start to get, get, get push that, some of that stuff through. Wow. So, That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Makes me wonder what your kids, so you told your two oldest, what their memories of that backpacking trip, like yeah. do they remember dad whipping out the pickles and yeah. it being different than everybody else? Right. right. What were their favorite moments? So, um, you mentioned your two oldest, so you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about the family that yeah. you and Melissa built? We have uh, three kids. Our our two oldest are boys, and, and they are both adopted. And then our daughter uh, was a surprise to us, came along um, a few years after our, our, our second son. And, and so um, they are both the boys are biracial, and we are still in, in uh, relationship with our birth families. And so I, I've, again, some of these places where you've learned a lot about things, uh, I've learned a lot about racial identity formation yeah. from my kids and from others who have expressed concern about my kids. One of the, again, one of these really memorable moments for me, we're with a, a woman, a black woman who's a friend of ours. Uh, we were visiting her and she was looking for a house. And so uh, there was a house in a neighborhood that was near her that she was interested in. So we drove by or we were walking by and it was clear to me that it was vacant. And so I walked up there and started peeking in the windows and, you know, just, I, uh, yeah, looking in. I'm looking in. <laughs> and she got like, so mm -hmm. like Mayday, you cannot do that. 
because the way in which you are regarded when you're going to peek in window, you cannot model that for your biracial son right? who looks like a young, I mean, he, he's a young black man. He's a young black man. Mm-hmm. And if he follows your lead, you're putting him in danger. So you need to know that that kind of behavior is not okay. Yeah, You can't do that. You can't do that. And so, I, again, it was one of those like, uh, okay. You know, um, it, the, it just raised the stakes mm-hmm. in many ways for me about getting it from a compassion point of view and getting it from a like, no, it's more than good. This is a safety issue at this point too about what it means for your kid to embody the the world and the way that they do and, and what that means about the way in which I set an example for mm-hmm. them too. Right. So, so yeah, right. um, our oldest has just turned 13. So now the parent of a teenager and I'm, I'm wrestling internally. Let the go. Okay. There's, I've got to take on a little different paradigm for what it means to be a parent. That stays. Teenagers. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think both the I, minor teens that I am not happy right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think right. I would describe my transition to a parenting a teenager as there are certain boundaries that I'm going to have to hold just because it's a, it's our household and there are ways mm-hmm. there's things that you do and don't get to do. But at this stage, my voice and my input is not really, doesn't have the weight. Mm-mm. It once did. And you are going <laughs> to do things in spite of what I hope for, for you. And so, okay, I'm going to, there's some things I'm still going to insist on. And then there's more things now that I need to begin to let you make your own choices yeah. and with. And so um, that's, I think that's it's hard, hard. hard to do. And I also feel like, and I, it feels like internally it raises the ante for me with the other kids. Like, oh man, you see what your brother, okay. Like, like yeah, I'm, I'm it's like, like whatever he gets away with, like it's going to yeah. be like, mm. well, <laughs> even like the through. intensity with which I'm coming to try to teach them, like, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen to you. So, hey, you know, like, <laughs> you try not to be extra hard on the younger ones because, because yeah, you like, don't want this to happen. Yeah, you're, you're listening to me still. So I've got a whole lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Meanwhile, they're like, geez, dad, we're I not going to do that. Yeah. So, and they will. Yeah. <laughs> right. So anyway, I, I have to try to manage my own. Again, there's maybe some grief work there, too, about what what does this mean about the, the kind of input I have in his life, our oldest life and and don't. Don't kind of like bring that with you and amp up the intensity with the instruction with the other two. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as a, you know, someone that has moved into this community, um, I mean, I I feel like our, our lens, the three of our lens is much different, right? Because we pretty much grew up here. What is it like for you raising kids in Grant County? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I've never raised kids anywhere Anywhere else, else yes. <laughs> our, our oldest was born, uh, I guess, you know, probably just about a year before we moved here. So, Or um, potentially, like, um, compare it to, like, when you were growing up. Yeah. Right. Um, I grew up in a town in western Kansas that was a similar size, but a very different kind of environment. Okay. Um, one of the points of contrast I always often and this was part of my orientation to moving further east and the further east you get it the more densely things are populated but i mean for us out in our community that was about marion size if you think about it in terms of high school sports the closest school that was anywhere near our size was an hour away Mm -hmm. and there were 
teams that we played regularly in our conference that were four and a half hours away. So it's just like we're a lot more spread out and the kind of community, it was a lot more of farming oriented. There was a division two university in the town we grew up in. And um, it was, it was uh, less racially diverse for sure than it is here. But even just the industry was very different too. Um, I think one of the things that I realized later too, was like, Oh, at other high schools, it seems it's normal that people put locks on their lockers. Like hardly anybody did that at our <laughs> high school. And it wasn't a small high school. It was, I mean, it, again, for Western Kansas, it wasn't a small high school. It was, we had 1200 or something like that at our high school, but like, there was hardly anybody that, that put a lock, put a lock on yeah. their locker and, and they were just overdoing it. <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's a strange concept for me because we always had locks on our lockers. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a uh, economically, it was a, a pretty diverse community and a, um, a, a pretty stable community in that regard too. And um, a great place to grow up. Uh, and I think, you know, it would have been hard to be raising our kids who are, you know, two young men of color in the community that, that I grew up in just mm-hmm. because that they, it would have been really hard for them to see anybody that looked like them in the variety of positions that people occupy in a community. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really appreciate it's about important. being here mm-hmm. is that you got the benefits of a small town while you do have a good amount of uh, diversity as well that, that uh, gives a different kind of richness to life and, so, yeah, that's yeah, that's part of the parenting in Grant County answer, I guess. <laughs> and we've chosen to live in a, a neighborhood that's economically and, and racially um, diverse. And so I think that's been really good for us, too, for all of us in learning from, from and with our neighbors. Did you have siblings growing up? Yeah, I have two younger sisters. Okay. Are they still... In Western Kansas, or no? Um, one of them just uh, a little over a year ago. She she had been living out in the Philadelphia area mm-hmm. until recently, and is now in the Indy area. Mm, nice. Moved to be a little closer uh, to us, and also to be a little uh, more in the Midwest and not so much of the East Coast mm-hmm. kind of uh, pace of life. Mm. And then I have another sister who's uh, in Missouri, in a rural community in Missouri. So share a little bit with us um, uh, about meeting Melissa. Yeah. Tell us, tell us that story. Um, I'm I'm still kind of hanging on to like when we back in February did the stories of love. So (laughs) So I I like hearing those stories. Yeah. Um, So Melissa and I met when we were 10. Uh, We met at a church camp and, um, and saw each other each year and, and, uh, our families both were volunteers at the camp, and so uh, we got to know one another's families well over the years. And um, we didn't see each other often, but we saw one another regularly, as far as you know, once or twice a year for a lot of years. Um, and then we, uh, you know, as much as pre-cell phone, <laughs> sixth graders could be interested in one another <laughs> that lives, you know, a few hours apart. What we is were, that? Writing letters? Were you guys writing exactly letters? Exactly what it was. We wrote wow. letters. And I had to pay out of my allowance for any phone, long distance phone calls I made to mm. her too. So <laughs> my parents were going to fund that. Oh, gosh, yeah. um, so we wrote letters and I, I actually have hers. I kept hers and she, 
she she was a little better at cleaning things out. Maybe, is what I say. That is the nicest way. Yeah. So, um, of saying that so she anyway, tossed them. That's right. She tossed them. Yeah. She moved on. Um, but so we, we wrote letters back and forth as as middle schoolers, and then uh, and you know that that waned, and we remained friends. And then in high school, um, we went to prom together, but not as one another state. She was dating my best friend. And I was uh, dating her cousin. So um, the picture of the four of us at prom, we're standing next to each other, but we're not, we're with other dates. Um, and then it was- This it is was, getting juicy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I know. I'm like, what are family reunions like? Right. <laughs> yeah. And what about the wedding? Were those two people in the wedding? <laughs> they were that, yeah. Juicy. Yeah, sure. It was, I, yeah, it was interesting. Now, now you got to keep going. Okay, okay so how yeah, did y'all so, break yeah, up? That's right. Well, I mean- I suppose that just the distance was the natural breakup for us at some point in, in, in middle school at least. Um, but, uh, we, wait, but how far no, away were you guys from each other? We we're about two hours, two hours. Okay. Yeah, I meant, hours. how'd you break up with her cousin to end up oh. with her? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was an immediate turnaround. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't, the, probably, the timeline's a little fuzzy in my mind, but I, I it had to be more than a year. Yeah, it was a couple of years probably between the time that I dated her cousin and and when we started dating. So, so there was there's plenty of distance. <laughs> um, but yeah, my uh, my best friend from high school was in our wedding who she dated and yeah, so that <laughs> she I, she was gracious and and she probably hid a lot more of how she felt about it than and even what she wasn't hiding, she was clearly uncomfortable. But I'm like my best friend like uh, yeah. <laughs> it just anyway. is what it is yeah so um but but yeah so did you meet again in college is um that- well yeah we we continue to cross paths here and there at common events and we mm-hmm. we actually never even lived in the same community until after we were married so mm-hmm. our entire from 10 till we got married at 22 was a distance relationship wow whenever there was a, yeah, you know wow. a relationship yeah. So, so yeah, I, we were talking about cars earlier. One of the, my early memories of cars really, I didn't have a car in college, but my senior year, second semester, I had to have a car cause I was student teaching. Mm. And so my grandparents gave me their car, which, um, was affectionately known as the derb, the demolition derby, because oh. my, it was a big tank of a Chevy Impala that, um, my grandparents had been in several accidents with. But they just kept the insurance money <laughs> and never fixed it, so it was it was rough looking. But that's that's some character. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there were certain there was doors that couldn't open, and there's things that just. <laughs> but it got you from point A to point B. Point A to point B, and and one of those point Bs was was going to see her. She was about three and a half hours away, um, the place where she went to college. So we try to, but even while we were engaged, there were, there was a few stretches where we wouldn't see each other for two or three months. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, that's Melissa and my story, or at least a <laughs> sketch of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the version we're willing to put on air. <laughs> <laughs> and so then when you were in the Chicago area for seminary, was that the first time you lived together? Is that yeah, that's right. That, right that, so we, married? we got married uh, right after we graduated from college and then moved out to the Chicago area to start grad school right after so yeah, that's that's kind of our our first <laughs> home together. Not only was it our first home together, but it's the first time we'd ever lived anywhere within Oops. within a few hours. Yeah, within a few hours of each other. Yeah. And you still liked each other, right? 
So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do remember, I mean, anyway, <laughs> I do remember at one point, uh, you know, as, as is probably necessary for all good relationships, we were in counseling at one point and, um, and the therapist asked us like, okay, if you had to grade your relationship on a scale of one to 10 of, you know, how you're doing with it. I, I was like, oh yeah, well, I think we're doing good. I'm a seven or eight. And she's like, I mean, I, that's, that's kind of my memory of it. I, I wonder if she would tell it, that story a little differently, but anyway, <laughs> all that to say there, there have been moments where, where I thought we liked each other a lot more than we did. He's like, I love you. Great. She's yeah, like, that's right. mm, yeah. I might like you right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We've got some work to do, <laughs> but I mean, uh, to be fair, it was, it was an accurate assessment. I thought we were there counseling to help her work through her issues. And it turns out I had a few of my own. <laughs> that is a very stereotypical male answer. Well, you know, my I, husband and I have done some counseling and I think he would have said the same thing. I right. went to help her. Right. I'm here to be the supportive spouse. And well, what do you know? Oh, no. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, Oh no, we're here Me. to talk about you <laughs> because yeah. my problem is you. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, so yeah. Uh, speaking of places I've learned a lot, that's, that was one that's of another one. <laughs> so I think we're doing better. I, I think, I think scores, we're doing better. You can't I think our scores, you. that's right. I think our scores would be closer to the same at this point. <laughs> um, but, oh. but I think in reality, even some of the challenges of, of, of life and parenting, uh, there, the ratio of folks who deal with adoption and some of the trauma that deals with adoption, anyway, divorce and infertility and some of these other things yeah. that we've dealt with have, have statistically are, are significant wedges oh, yeah. in relationships. And uh, I think in part because of uh, some good support from others and uh, some tenacity. <laughs> willingness to go yeah, to counseling. Yeah, willingness to go well. to counseling and, and um, some allowing God's work to do its to humble us in ways that that were necessary. I think that those have all been significant contributors to why we've why we've been able to continue to grow together and learn with one another. And so, yeah. So, what does Melissa do? Melissa works at Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan, and she uh, is the director of the Learning Center. So she does academic support kinds of things with nice. students, and so yeah, it's been a good good fit for her. And um, she can enjoy a little bit of a school calendar because she works a 10-month schedule. And so that's, that's nice. What are some of your favorite things uh, to do as a family uh, here in Grant County? Places to go, places to eat. If you Yeah, that's right. Um, I suppose one, among our favorite places to eat is out of our garden. Um, yeah. Um, but we, we enjoy the Cardinal Greenway. It's really close to our house. And so uh, we enjoy biking and um, that's a family activity that uh, sometimes gets some resistance, but there's, there are, uh, there's a good, at least three fifths of us that enjoy it. <laughs> um, that's right. And others, and, and we try to make up for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that we enjoy that. Um, I think we're regulars at the Y and, and the things that the Y has to offer too. So I really appreciate that. And that's close to our neighborhood. We, we do a lot of just walking in our neighborhood back, back to the dogs, back to the dogs. <laughs> walking the dogs in the neighborhood. And, and there's a little yeah. park right behind our house that we really enjoyed connecting with our neighbors there too. Um, so those are some of our. And you guys spots. love being outdoors. So you camp a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And we, uh, 
one of our purchases over the pandemic was to get a camper. And um, because that that's that hasn't that's one of the compromises. Our camper version. for Melissa to sleep yeah, right. in while you guys sleep in the tent, right? <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's the deal I would make even, too. <laughs> it doesn't even have the capacity to hold all of us. <laughs> Need the bed. <laughs> that's right. So it it, it is it, it's a must. It's, it, the arrangement requires that some of us are out in a tent, and that's always. Tate and I are in a tent and the rest of the family gets to sleep in the camper. So where, where do you guys like to go? Like when you, when you do pull it, do you have like a favorite place? I, I feel like you're always going to like a different state park or going yeah. somewhere different or place I've never even heard of usually. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't camp. Yeah, um. well, you know, yeah. We've got some great state parks around. And so, yeah, yeah. we've, that's, those are the places that we go to when we're taking the camper most. My preferred st- style of camping is would actually be backpacking because I like to be away from back to the silence, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like to be away from, from others and, and uh, the, you know, a camping campground doesn't always still more activity. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, too people-y. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and again, like I said before, I kind of like the rigors of the getting, whole, getting yeah. to the campsite. The, the, yeah. and, and, and there's a little more adventure in trying to create your, space and out there and so yeah so we've done some of that I, i've been to red river gorge in kentucky several times that's mm-hmm. a regular spot and, and to a few different places in michigan to backpack and yeah nice very cool nice. well this hour has flown by we've had lots of fun Gosh. and we can't let you go without asking the okay. ending traditional questions as to what are you currently watching reading and or listening to right now. Yeah. You know, um, one of them that I, one, a book that I just finished was uh, Brene Brown's, mm-hmm. um, the, the heart, it's not cartography of the heart, it's, but, but it's talking Atlas about mapping. Atlas of the heart. Atlas. It's, you know, it's <laughs> a Car- map. Cartography. <laughs> I just, just have the question. I know where you were at though. <laughs> thank you. Thank I had you. you. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the roll off. Cartography of the heart. I like <laughs> I it. I, think, I like and it. And I'm picturing I, like I this 3D printed it. heart yeah. with all of the That's right. That's right. Atlas of the heart. Atlas of the heart. Yeah. Yep. Um. Let's see. I, I really love Malcolm Gladwell, so in, yes. I, I think I've read everything that I can find of, of his. By read, I mean listen to. Cause yeah. I'm a, so you do audiobooks? I'm, I'm an audiobook guy, yeah. Well, and I love his his intonation and his, yeah. his just the pattern with which he he speaks to like i like uh-huh. to listen to him as yeah, well man he, mm-hmm. just as storyteller again as, yeah as he's a great storyteller folks who are collecting stories man he he's a great storyteller yeah so mm-hmm. i appreciate his yeah um i've so uh i just finished a book by um patrick lencioni that's called working genius but it's just about how how teams function well together and what were the different kind of roles a good and healthy team have that's been, I, I don't, I do very little fiction uh, in my reading slash listening. And any TV? Do you watch TV? Uh, not, a, uh, not really. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, as much TV as I watch is, is tr- probably to try to catch up on sports stuff. Okay. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. trying to keep up with it. I, I so ESPN watch. and that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. basically it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> That's a good question. What are your teams? Do you have teams? Do you have ones that you really like and that you really like? I to do. Follow? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, um, I'm a Broncos fan. I grew up in Western Kansas. We were just as close to Denver as mm-hmm. I, actually I gained my, uh, affection for the Broncos when we lived in Montana. So, um, but yeah, the Broncos and we lived in Nebraska for a while. So I'm a Cornhuskers fan, at least as far as football goes. And, yep. 
Um, and then I, I'm a Jayhawks, Kansas Jayhawks basketball. Fan. So I, I've picked up a, a little, a little bit, bit from a everywhere. Bit from a yeah. few different places we lived. And yeah, so those are some of the teams I follow. I do feel like I have a mixed, a little bit of a mixed relationship with the NFL. Sometimes it, the <laughs> college football is better than the NFL, in my opinion. Yeah. And even, I, th- I think some of what the whole traumatic brain injury stuff, and, yeah, and it CT. seems to be the ways, mm-hmm. ways in which that wasn't dealt with completely transparently mm-hmm. have, have really colored my perception of the industry yeah. of the NFL. So, so I mean, uh, it's among always, other things, that's not the only thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah. So those are some of the teams. That's a great question. Problems. I think we should add that yeah. to the regular rotation. We need to know, we need to know about Really just teams make, make people really, mad. Yeah, just draw some lines in the sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? No, some of those. Uh, yeah, right. I'm, I mean, I'm, get rough. Kylie and I still get along, you know, even though. I'm a Cubs yeah. fan and she goes to Purdue and IU. Yeah. 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 I'm a Reds fan. Yeah. Uh, well, the Broncos are a threat to nobody at this point, so it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, I'm not ruffling anybody's feathers with that. But around cool. here, they stole Peyton Manning. Oh, right. yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Never, so. Well, Andrew, it's been quite a pleasure to yeah, have you on man. today. Um, thanks for joining us and telling us a little bit about your story. And thank you for the work that you continue to do. And um, we're so appreciative of having you here in Grant County. Um, those of you listening, make sure you like and subscribe and follow us so you know when we drop new episodes. We will see you uh, next Thursday. And be well until then. Bye. 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 Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas. Thank you.